So the instructor had his hands on the railing and we were going backwards. And so he goes like that and I'm ready to go. But then he pulls himself back in and we didn't have any conversation. And so it's my turn, he's hanging on, go. And I'm, I'm ready to be you know, out of the plane. But then he pulls back in. And again, there was no conversation about this. So in my mind, in that split second, I'm like, oh, maybe he's gonna do like a one, two, three. We go out the first time, we come back in. As we're coming back in, I'm like, oh, okay, it's gonna be on three counts. So let me exhale and then he'll go. And then I'll take a big inhale as on, and then be ready for the third one. No, he was like, no. we're just gonna go twice. No, so, it's, 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 the count is always out, in, out. That's the three. Did not know that. So, Would have loved to know that because then I, no. I on the on the end, which would I guess be the two, then I'm I let all the air out, and I'm on the as we're falling, I'm like, oh, this is not this is three, and so I'm like trying to cover my mouth to try to to stop the the, the air just to be able to to suck it because I have no air in my lungs. So the first, I mean, it must have only been three or four seconds, but in that you know in that time, especially for a first timer, it's like it's like oh my god, am I gonna be able to you know who cares about the ground? I, I need to get air in my lungs right now. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the I Didn't Read Your Book podcast. I am your host, Lutch. This is Morty trying to get up in here. And today we are going to be talking with a very special guest, Dr. Kevin Payne, about his book, Your Life Lived Well. Um, he is a uh, real doctor. I don't know exactly what uh, what type, but... Um, you know, I'm sure we will definitely get into that, and I'm sure it will be on the back of the book. Um, judging by the cover here, um, and actually, there's something else that he sent me that I figured we would uh, uh, we would dive into as well. So, actually, let's do that before we we uh, look at anything. Let's check out this commercial, as he calls it. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at justjump.life. Perfect, so we've got the cover right here. Uh, so I'll just talk to you from the corner. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been skydiving. I went skydiving in Hawaii, which was awesome. And, uh, I didn't get the video package. Just seemed like an extra hundred bucks for a, uh, uh, you know, fleeting experience. I wanted that to just be, uh, just be for me, but I am very glad that, uh, he gave us this, uh, uh, you know, this kind of, um, you know, more than just reading the back of the book. As we've seen so often, the back of the book just simply doesn't offer us too much. And um, so in the email he, uh, where we were setting this all up, he sent this over. And I think this is a great, 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 great way to uh, you know, expose the world to your work. I think this is fantastic. Um, I don't understand why more uh, authors don't do it. Uh, I'm sure it's just a, a matter of you know, different, um, different mediums and not really thinking like, oh, this is, you know, when you have a book, you do this, you do this, you do this. Jumping out of a plane and filming it and talking about the book is not necessarily on that, uh, that checklist. So, uh, but maybe it should be. Uh, so very cool. Uh, again, it doesn't give us, uh, so yeah, let's actually read the back of the book itself and see what it says because that was you know cool and it gives us a vibe but it doesn't really 
tell us too much more than, um, you know, that he was uh, sick and that he is better. I think it, I, I'm going to be honest. I was, I noticed there was the captions and, and the YouTube captions. And I turned that off and I, I missed the beginning part, but I'm sure we'll dive into it. But uh, so with that, diving right into reading the back of the book. Your life lived well. It's a diagnosis, not a life sentence. You have a chronic diagnosis. It's serious. It's scary. It feels like the bottom has dropped out of your life. It's changed everything about how you think, feel, act, relate, and operate in the world. Everything is more difficult than others don't understand. Dr. Payne, odd name for her. That's like a, a TV thing that would be Dr. Payne. Dr. Payne invites you to jump with him into a better quality of life. He was a happy professor, surrounded by the family he loved. Then a multiple, multiple sclerosis diagnosis threw his life into a tailspin. His body and brain didn't work. He lived in, with constant pain, fatigue, dysfunction, and distress. A, a decade of care for a wife on the verge of dying from cancer overwhelmed him. Wow, that's a lot. So he was going through that and his uh, wife was on the verge of dying from cancer. That's a lot. Uh, trying to maintain this life while battling years of health crises left him empty. His life was in tatters. He found himself with an unreliable body and brain, career knocked off kilter and alone. Everything was dark and he could see, and all he could see was depression and grief. He had hit bottom and was on the verge of giving up. This wasn't a life he wanted. So he determined to science the hell out of it. He turned himself into a guinea, guinea pig, began ruthlessly experimenting and embarked on years of research. He built new technology and a company dedicated to improving lives by uh, improving lives ravaged by chronic illness. He also resolved to rec reclaim, reclaim a lost childhood dream and face fear itself by becoming a skydiver. In his first year and a half back after two decade break, he learned to compensate for his wonky body and sent sketchy signals log, uh, uh, that sent sketchy signals logged over 500 jumps and earned his D license and coach rating. Now, when the weather is good, you'll find him in the sky. Someday he may no longer walk, but he will still fly. Well, that is rather inspiring. Um, so uh, again, I don't know exactly what type of, uh, work he was doing before all of this. Uh, he said, it said he was a professor, um, but I'm not sure what kind of professor, but having this type of stuff, you know, happen to you, uh, you know, is like, that's like our, 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 our greatest fear. You know, you find someone to fall in love with a, a career that you're enjoying and something out of your control comes and takes it away. And you've worked so hard to build a, a life that, uh, and, and just for no reason, it gets, uh, it just disappears. And, um, you know, the, the, I, I'm only just now at 32, starting to build pieces of my life that I actually like and care about. As you guys know, I didn't, you know, spend a, a, a lot, a lot of my twenties doing great stuff. I was just kind of getting by, you know, dabble in some of the, uh, the dark arts as Theo Vaughn likes to, uh, refer to it. And um, so only just now am I starting to even have stuff that I would care to loot, care about if I, if I lost uh, uh, like that. Uh, so that's something that I can't even, I can't even fathom what that's like. 
having all of that and then losing all of that. So I think that's really the angle that I'm going to go into. And then of course, I want to ask, you know, what, what kind of, what was his life like before? What, what, you know, how he got, obviously, you know, the darkest of times we can, you know, we can't really, we're not going to be able to imagine that, but we can, we can, um, you know, we understand what a rock bottom means. Um, and, and, and how precisely, you know, through the skydiving, through the experimentation, what, what, how did he become a guinea pig? What exactly, um, did he do? What, what exactly did he do? And, and, um, how is he doing now? So uh, I'm very interested in this uh, conversation and there's a lot, there's not just the book, there's, uh, there's seminars and stuff. Check the description below. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about all of that. I'm sure he will talk about that near the end, but there is a lot here. There is a lot here. So definitely check the description below. Um, but without further ado, let's bring in Dr. Kevin Payne. All right, and welcome, Dr. Kevin Payne. Um, so we have just finished uh, not only reading the back of your book and checking out the cover, but also watching your uh, skydiving commercial. Um, oh, and yeah. I, I really, really, um, I, I was saying this in the second, but I really like that you did that. Um, even yeah. though it doesn't necessarily, you know, the commercial itself doesn't necessarily give too much insight into what specifically is in the pages of the book. It definitely sets a uh, a vibe, um, mm -hmm. and 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 a uh, you know coming in understanding that you know we're going to be talking about some serious stuff, but also that you know this is this is something positive, um, and and I think I think it's very important. Uh, especially after reading the back of the book, and it did have a little bit more of a uh, a somber tone, even though uh, you know obviously the 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 point is that you know you want your life with well, it's not a uh, it's a diagnosis, not a life sentence, right? Um, mm -hmm. But reading you know a little bit more, uh, you know, especially about um, uh, you know the uh, the things you were going through, that's a little bit uh, darker. And um, so the the fact that you have the commercial adds a little bit more. And I really think that a lot of authors will probably see that and be like, oh, why didn't I do that? Maybe not skydiving specifically, but have a sure. little just something, and it adds. More. I mean, one of the um, one of the the common themes in that that we found from the show is that the synopsis on the back of the book is very often just not enough to tell you everything that's in the book. Obviously, if it was, then it would be the book. Um, so, my first question to you is, um, what exactly? Uh, you know, you talked about experimenting on yourself, and and uh, I guess that came from taking, you know, realizing that you you want to take things into your own hands. Um, and so, what what exactly were you experimenting with, and what exactly were you trying to accomplish with these experiments? Okay, let's start with the big question. <laughs> the uh, I, there's a couple of things here. One is that. And, and let me just speak to that skydiving commercial here Please. for a second, too. And it's in the book, I use it as a metaphor in a couple of ways. And I think it's a really apt metaphor for living with the chronic illness, because when you get that diagnosis, it feels like your world has just dropped out from under you and, and you are 
metaphorically in free fall and you don't know how your life is going to land. Are you going to splat or are you going to be able to touch down, you know, in a safe way? And the second way that it's a metaphor is that one of the things that, that you have to learn when you become a skydiver is that you have no control. And, and in order to get what you want, I mean, gravity and the winds will win every time. They are bigger than you. But you can still get what you want out of it, an enjoyable, safe skydive with a safe landing and a whole lot of fun in between if you give up the idea of control and start working with what's in front of you. And, and so that's a really power, powerful metaphor that, that I use as we go through the book. And, and uh, you know, we can, <clears throat> one of the things is when I, when I decided on the cover for this book, because that, that shot was specifically for this book. And it, I had in my mind, the exact image that I wanted to give. And I talk about this in the forward to the book because most people are not gonna be skydivers and they're not gonna understand the significance of what's going on there. But when that shot was taken, <clears throat> I was 5,000 feet above the earth. That's 27 seconds from impact, okay? So I had 27 seconds left to live unless I took a proactive step and saved myself. And the thing that I'm doing on that cover, this gesture where my hands are, are up to my forehead and I'm about to sweep out in this big wide gesture. Every skydiver in the world will recognize that gesture. It's called the wave off. And that is the thing that we do to let everyone else in our airspace know that we are about to take action to save ourselves. So it's a warning. And that's the mindset that I want people to have whenever they open this book. This is where they are at right now in their lives. They're about to take action to save themselves. And that's the warning. So in this case, this is a book I want judged by its cover. It, it took us eight shots over several weeks. You know, it took us eight skydives over several weeks to get exactly the shot that I wanted. I wanted the, the sun on the horizon behind me. I needed the clouds to be big, beautiful, puffy, you know, and, and everything had to be perfect. And it looks like I'm just floating there, but the cameraman and I are falling to earth at 120 miles an hour at that point. So everything had to fall into place at exactly the right moment to get that shot. So I'm really proud of that. And I had a great cameraman uh, you know, who helped me with this. And, and it does tell the story of the book. And yeah, you got to be a skydiver to understand, but I explain that first thing as, as we go into the book so that people kind of get the mindset because each one of the, the book is two thirds science wrapped in one third memoir. So there are the substantive chapters and then in between there are these episodes from my life. And cool. each one of those episodes is titled with a quote that something someone said to me during that episode. So the title of that prologue is the question, who's responsible for your life? Because 
one of the very last things when you are doing your student skydives in order to get your license, one of the very last things that an instructor will say to you before you get out of the plane, they'll lean in real close because it's really loud and the wind is going everywhere and they will scream at you, who's responsible for your life? And if you don't answer enthusiastically, affirmatively, I am. I am. You're not going. Interesting. Because there is no doubt on a skydive that you must take responsibility for your life because no one else will. That's that's very cool. And to think, because I've been on I've been on one jump. I took a uh, a trip to Hawaii with some friends uh, in 2013, and that was you know just mm -hmm. on the docket. And I mean. We went, we went the, the whole way. We went up, uh, I think it was 14,000 feet, um, yeah, you know, that's standard. Uh, over, over a minute of free fall. And, um, but you know, we were obviously as, uh, uh, you know, newbie jumpers, we were, uh, strapped to, um, sure. you know, we're an instructor or whatever. Yeah. And, um, mm -hmm. and I, I was, I was broke enough to be able to afford it. So I didn't get the video package or anything like that. Um, I saw the video. It was cool. But I was like, you know, I like that. It's, you know, just my little experience and nobody else can can see mm -hmm. it. Um, but uh, yeah, the and funny, funnily enough, in, uh, you know, when you're doing the tandems and and you're just along for the ride, uh, specifically with with my jump, I was uh, second out of uh, second or third out of the plane. And the people, mm -hmm. the people or person who was before me had gone before. So they were a little bit more comfortable with it. You know, uh, you know, first time jumping out of a plane is no matter how mm -hmm. uh, confident you are, you don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen. And everybody is like, are you sure you want to do that? You know, that whole thing. And all of that is, is uh, flashing uh, uh, before your <laughs> eyes. And then of course I didn't put, I didn't think that we should maybe schedule the, the skydiving jump early on in the trip so that when we get to Hawaii and I'm sitting on the beach trying to relax and I'm thinking about, oh, I see planes going by and I'm like, oh, that's gonna be me in a few days. But anyway, <laughs> the, they, uh, you know, the, the first person, the first two people jumped out and um, my, uh, what do you call it with the, the person you're- It's a tandem you know, instructor. Yeah, so the, so the instructor had his hands on the, um, the, 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 the railing and we were going backwards. And so he goes mm -hmm. like that and I'm ready to go. But then he pulls himself back in and we didn't have any conversation. And like on the way up, they, they knew that uh, I believe it, I was the only one who hadn't jumped before. There may have been one other person, but he wasn't very nervous. I have tons of anxiety. So I was like, ah. Um, mm -hmm. And so they were messing with me. They were like, wait, you checked his shoot, right? And like, uh, I mean, I knew yeah, they we've were got, messing. We've got tons of jokes that we, that we always use to, to mess <laughs> like, with the new people with. I was like, really, guys, come on. But I, you know, looking back, I'm glad they did. Made it more, uh, more memorable. And so, uh, you know, I see the people uh, go before me. It's my turn. He's hanging on. Go, and I'm, I'm ready to be, you know, out of the plane. But then he pulls back in. And again, there was no conversation about this. So in my mind, in that split second, I'm like, oh, maybe he's gonna do like a one, two, three. So he yeah, he's doing a count. And uh, so we go out the first time. We come back in. We're, as we're coming back in, I'm like, oh, okay, it's gonna be on a three count. So let me exhale, and then he'll go. And then I'll take a big inhale as on, and then be ready for the third one. Nope. He was like, no. we're just going to go twice. No, so, it's, 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 the count is always out in out. That's the three. Did not know that. So, did not know well, that. You don't would have, have to know that. Would have loved to know that because then I, no. I, on the, on the end, which would 
I guess be the two, then I'm compl- I let all the air out. And I'm on the, as we're falling, I'm like, oh, this is not, this is three. And so I'm like trying to cover my mouth to try to, to stop the, the, the air, just to be able to, to suck it. Cause I have no air in my lungs. So the first, I mean, must've only been three or four seconds, but in that, mm-hmm. you know, in that time, especially for a first timer, it's like, it's like, oh my God, am I going to be able to, you know, who cares about the ground? I, I need to get air in my lungs right now. Um, and uh, so it, it was, but you know, after that, I got a breath in, we got the shootout and it, it was, be- it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. Um, and See, definitely- nowadays, yeah, the, the first jump is almost always a tandem jump. Mm-hmm. I did, I started skydiving for the first time back in 1996. And tandems weren't really a widespread thing back then. They were only invented in the 80s. And so most of us back then started with what's called an IAD jump, an instructor-assisted deploy jump. So you come out. So I'm up there in this little Cessna. Nobody's attached to me. And I have to climb out onto the, you know, and grab onto the strut. And I'm hanging on the side of the plane, hanging onto the strut, standing on the wheel. And I look into the instructor and he grabs my pilot chute and deploys it back out into the wind and it just yanks me off the plane. And that's, and then it's like, you're out there, you're committed, you're, you're going to have to figure out how to land this thing. So back then, when you started, you had to do all the training beforehand and, and do that. And, and it, was, it was quite a, uh, a mind rearranging experience. Yes, they've definitely dumbed down the process for uh, for, yeah. for everybody. Every, the only thing I had to remember was arms out and uh, or, or arms on the arms on the pack until uh, whenever, and then legs up when when we're coming down. That's all. Legs I need up to on know. landing. That's and all. That's I the need really to really important one because yeah. you can break your ankles if oh, yeah. you don't, and uh, it happens. So that's uh, so the the taking this as a metaphor the uh i guess going back to the the question of how this plays into the experimentation what exactly was it that uh you know for your first jump what what led you to that uh and 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 what were you looking for to get out of it well my first jump you know i had i had okay so all the way back in the 70s when i was a little kid i i went to an air show at a little rural airport with my grandmother and it was cool you know there were all kinds of neat things but then about midway through the day this little Cessna comes cruising over the airport and it's a skydiver and he jumps out and when he opened his parachute it wasn't round it was what we call a square it was a rectangle now those were new back then so you know, because the ram air parachutes, the rectangle parachutes that we all use now, those weren't invented until the 60s. And they didn't become common until like the 80s. So this guy's jumping it and he flew it like a glider and he like whizzed around and did all kinds of fun stuff and, and whizzed over the crowd and stood up a landing right in front of us. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. So, you know, I kept that. And so as a little kid, I would climb all kinds of things and jump off, you know, as high as I thought I could probably survive and <laughs> jump off and, and make really cruddy uh, homemade parachutes and that never worked. 
<laughs> and, and uh, but I was committed to the idea. So finally, in the 90s, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my doctorate by this time. And I decide, you know, I've waited too long. I mean, by that time, I had the highest I'd been is I bungee jumped with the Oxford Dangerous Sport Club when I was an undergraduate in England. And, you know, that was pretty cool. Bungee jumping is cool. <laughs> but, and, you know, I did several there, but, but it wasn't high enough yet. So I started, I started this in the 90s, and I got a handful of jumps in, and, you know, it was, it was a two-hour drive, and it was a lot of commitment, and people don't understand that skydiving is not a hobby, it's a lifestyle choice. Hmm. I mean, you know, I know plenty of people who have just cut away from mainstream life, and they live on drop zones, and that's all they do. They I can skydive. definitely see that. I can definitely yeah, see that. It is, it is its own little subculture. And I didn't realize that when I first started. So I had to, you know, I finished my education. I became a professor. I had, you know, kids and, and the family. And one thing after another just kept getting in the way of me getting back to being a skydiver. And, and then it was health. And... I started having all kinds of weirdness, uh, and and it turns out that I was well, I was having this all the way back from 1989, and, okay. uh, and you know, and, and it wasn't diagnosed as MS at the time, and and this is not unusual at all, and so so finally in 2002, I woke up one morning and I couldn't feel my left leg below my knee; it was just gone. I thought I'd overdone my workout. I thought I'd lifted weights funny the last yesterday or something and, and that I'd pinched a nerve and I didn't think too much about it. And a few days later, it was normal. But then it disappeared again. And then it was back. And then other parts of my body, that started happening until finally one day I woke up and I could feel my right arm and my head, but the rest of my body was disappeared. And at that point, my then wife said, I'm putting my foot down. You're going to get this looked at. So they did. And one thing led to another. And it was kind of a comedy of medical errors for a few months there. And, and again, that's not really uncommon with MS because it's hard to get a diagnosis. And finally, it was, yeah, you've got MS. And this was, unfortunately right before they had told me you will be glad that it is not ms <laughs> so, how, do you, how do you mean well my i'd done a bunch of tests and my neurologist said well one thing that you'll be glad to know is that we can rule out ms and then he oh, ordered another mri yeah mri yeah and he was like oh jk actually it is yeah exactly oh man oh man i'm i'm like, I mean, knock on wood, but I'm so grateful that I've, I've never really had any major uh, medical issues like that. I, I you know, my, my dad's a doctor, so he, uh, uh, you know, stories of things that, that people dealt with have always been a part of my life. And uh, there's, mm -hmm. there's actually a lot of things that I grew up with uh, that, that were blessings that I didn't realize until later in life. But my health mm -hmm. was something that um, I always uh, was grateful for. And 
you know, arguably in my 20s when I was dabbling in, in, in drugs, I wasn't putting my health at the forefront, but I was, uh, you know, we, 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 we rationalized things. Um, but well, as we, we were, all do some sketchy things in our 20s. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I was asking about the skydiving um, in relevance to your uh, in, in relevance to the MS. But, I, you know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm realizing that obviously this is something that uh, uh, pre precluded. Is that the word I'm going to predated before? <laughs> predated, yeah. the, uh, mm -hmm. the, predated that. So um, so let, let's let's talk about a little bit more about uh, uh, about the before time. Um, your yeah. Dr. Kevin Payne, what is your, uh, uh, what is your, uh, area of expertise? It's in sociology and psychology. So oh. I'm a social psychologist. I have a and... bachelor's, I have a bachelor's in uh, psychology. Very good. Very good. Don't and, use it to, I mean, I, I, I decided I, from a, a, like middle school age, I decided I wanted to be a therapist and then I graduated college and I kind of got into the field and I was like, eh, this is a little too much for me. Now I'm a private dog trainer, so the psychology definitely does come into it, but it's a much mm -hmm. lighter day. It's a much, uh, uh, I don't have to deal with, with uh, you know, the, uh, some of the, the, the heavy things that come along with being a therapist. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, I, I never had any interest in, in being a clinician or a therapist, although as a, you know, I spent 15 years as a professor and I helped train a lot of them. Uh, and, and with my company now, we, we do a lot of training to help medical health wellness professionals better deal with the challenges that patients with chronic illnesses and their families face, and to also help them deal with the challenges of treating people who are never going to get better. <clears throat> and medical burnout is a huge issue right now. And so we do a lot uh, in that area because even though, you know, in, in like 2019 in the United States, we spent three and a half trillion dollars on medical care. 87% of that Medicare, that medical care spend was for chronic treatments. Let that sink in for a second. So what 87 percent and so what is what what is the what does that say to us what is that what does this i mean obviously that's a lot of money but what uh, i'm well it's a lot of money i mean now it's also what it means is that over half of all americans are now carrying a chronic health diagnosis with them oh, wow hmm. 18 percent of us have five or more diagnoses wow if you go back 100 years to the early part of the 20th century, then only like four or five out of the top 10 killers were chronic illnesses. And back then, they were diagnosed maybe weeks or months before they killed you. Now, seven out of the top 10 killers are chronic illnesses, but are medical technology has grown to the point where we can live for years and decades with those conditions. So medicine as a field was adapted originally to treat acute illnesses. And this created and, a new class of people who needed chronic treatment, right? Is that what? Exactly, exactly. Gotcha. Because that wasn't a concern for most mm -hmm. of human history. So 
Mm-hmm. Now, we've got most medical health and wellness professionals that are still at least implicitly trained according to that acute care model. And that is the model through which all of us, you know, have our lay understanding of what it means to be sick. You get sick, you know, maybe you get the flu, you break in a leg or something like that. You feel bad, you groan about it, you take your meds, you do your therapy, and then everybody cuts you some slack for a little bit, and then you go back to your old life. Right. But that model doesn't hold for chronic illness. This is now my life. I will not get better. And maybe medicine will figure out a cure for multiple sclerosis. I hope they do. There's a lot of fine researchers working on it. But I have to live in the meantime. I can't wait. So as a social psychologist, what I was interested in was two things. One, I was interested in the experience of living with a chronic illness. And why does the experience of living with a chronic illness become so oppressive and depressing? And what can we do about that? So that's the first thing, because social psychology is a study of the person in the situation. And I was interested in that. The second thing I was interested in was this perennial question. You know, one of the oldest human questions is how do we live a good life? And you go all the way back to the ancient Greeks and, and there are Plato and Aristotle giving their takes on eudaimonia, you know, the good life. And I, you know, I was fascinated with that question from the time I was a freshman in college. And I was interested in that question, but as I grew up and I, as I matured as an academic and started facing some of these things myself, I was interested in an even, I think, more difficult version of that question. How do we live a good life when we have something bad in our lives that we can't get away from? And that's what this book is about. And that's an interesting, that's an interesting way to frame it because, um, and of course not to downplay uh, chronic illness, but of course, the human experience is dealing with the fact that we all are going to die eventually from whatever it is. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, the, the, the concepts of like, uh, I, I guess what you would be talking about are things that most people would have, I guess, uh, I guess a good way to put it is most people have the benefit of, you know, pushing those things to the side. Uh, exactly. where, whereas, you know, uh, somebody in, in, in your shoes or a, 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 any uh, chronic illness, it's, it's in your face every day. And even if it's not, you know, the, the, uh, the concept of the eventual death, even though it's not potential and it is guaranteed, not knowing when it's going to come and, and being uh, in a different, uh, you know, not in a deathly state or an ill uh, state before that allows people like myself to, to kind of, uh, uh, you know, put it to the side. And I, I personally am really into uh, philosophy and stuff, so I'm thinking about this stuff all the time. But, um, you know, it, it, it reminds me of a, uh, a time when, in, in, again, in 2013, uh, my, uh, my best friend uh, passed away in a, uh, a freak motorcycle accident on his way to work. Mm-hmm. And I think because of 
you know, my understanding of just, you know, these, these types of existential crises and, and, uh, you know, looking at the world. Um, I'd also gone through a, uh, you know, I was brought up religious and I'd gone through uh, a journey to atheism and, and was without that spirituality and then found a, 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 a secular uh, version of, of a spirituality. And so, you know, living this life, and understanding the fleeting nature of it is something that was a little bit more present in my mind. So sorry to interrupt your podcast experience. I just want to remind you, if you're enjoying what you're watching, please hit the like button and subscribe for more content. And if you really love it, there's some support links in the description. I would love if you could help out the channel and back to the show. And you could see that in how uh, people reacted to, even though, even though probably of all of the, our, our friend group, I was probably the closest to this, this person that died, um, uh, shout out to Akon, uh, but everybody took it so seemingly so much harder than I did on the, on the, like, especially on the face. Whereas, you know, like we were, we were all at the hospital. We got the final call that like, he didn't make it and everybody just broke down. And I just kind of went into this. I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even call it shock. But just this like very uh, intellectualized, like, well, okay, this is this is going to be our life now. This is going to be a part of everything that we do that, you know, uh, having having the concept of death a little bit closer to home than the average person who just does not even think about it. Um, and so I guess, you know, the 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 things that you're talking about obviously would um, be directly relevant to somebody who is. Uh, dealing with with chronic illness, but sounds like uh, it could apply to anybody and anybody looking to to get more meaning out of the time they have, whether it's long or short. Well, that's that's why the subtitle there is chronic distress, pain and illness, because they all lead to a lot of the same coping problems mm. that that we're dealing with here. And <clears throat> One of the things I was interested in was most of the time when you see somebody writing on these topics, they, they take a, a specific diagnosis as their starting point. How do I live with multiple sclerosis? How do I live with diabetes? How do I live with heart condition? Yada, yada, you know, all that stuff. I don't know anyone who, who took the approach that I took to the research. And so, you know, I started with myself, obviously. And this goes back to the question about becoming, uh, you know, a, a, a rampant experimenter on myself. Well, I'm a research methodologist to begin with. That's my, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person. I'm a scientist. And scientist, sci you know, my science is where... I find my comfort in the world. And so for me, I started collecting all kinds of data points about myself. And I started running longitudinal models. And I started yes. trying to predict what was going to happen with these things. And I, and I started seeing some patterns. But because I'm a scientist, I, I wasn't just interested in finding solutions for me. I was interested in well, what can I generalize? <clears throat> okay, so that means I can't generalize from an N of one. So I started interviewing. I interviewed hundreds of people with different conditions. I surveyed thousands. I built scrapers that went out on the web and collected millions of relevant data points. I brought in meta-analyses and pooled analyses over thousands of studies. 
And the thing that I was interested in is one, not about becoming healthy, not about a medical cure, but about a good life experience. Mm -hmm. How do we live well even when we're sick? And it turns out that our bodies, brains, minds, we, we really only have one set of tools for dealing with threat. And, and so our acute stress response gets tripped and you know there's, there's, there's your first clue that it's going to not be very good for treating a chronic illness is called an acute stress response. <laughs> and, and, and it's meant to help, you know, it was, it was adapted to keep our ancestors safe from predators out on the savanna. And it does a pretty good job at that. Unfortunately, if you have a chronic illness, you can look at chronic illness as lasting and repeated trauma. Okay, so, so yeah, like my condition flares up and I end up paralyzed on the ground. And when that happens, it sucks. Oh, there's my cat saying, hello. We got, we got Morty back here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, you know, when, when I'm in constant pain, you know, I, I'm always in pain. I'm always medically fatigued. I'm always confused. I mean, I have cognitive fog going on all the time. I, but I couldn't just sign off on, well, that's all there's going to be to the rest of my life. There's still stuff that I want to do. So how do I get not beyond that, but because I'm, I'm going to have to live with it, right? Now I can minimize those symptoms. And it turns out through meditation and exercise and training and, you know, a lot of habit formation, I can minimize the sense of pain. I can give myself, you know, maybe I'm only going to be medically tired rather than medically fatigued. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be a hundred percent awake and, and alert, but you know, well enough. And, and so, you know, how can I do those things so that I can increase my capacity, reduce my demand, increase my resources, you know, make what I need to do easier in the ways that I need so that I can still accomplish what I want. And so I had gotten to a point when my condition was at its worst and it got really bad. And it was a, a really awful exacerbation that took out most of my right frontal temporal lobe. And trust me, you don't want to live there because a lot of the symptoms at that point are basically dementia. And this was, you know, this was really bad and nobody in my family understood. And oh yeah, while I was going through all of this with my chronic illness and the kids were young and there were the career things, my then wife, wife had right. been going through a decade of advanced cancer. So, you know, we, we were just shredded by yeah. chronic illness. I, I was saying in the, um, in the, 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 uh, reading the back of the book segment 
that, um, you know, that's that's specifically what I was referring to, you know, the, the commercial versus reading the back of the book. And, you know, just thinking again about even with all of the the, uh, you know, the things that I was uh, blessed with and privileges or whatever you want to call them, then, uh, you know, I, um, I, I, I through my choices in my 20s, again, I didn't uh, at 32, I don't really have uh, too much that, you know, I, I could I there's enough that I could lose everything. Yes. But I don't have, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a big, uh, uh, you know, a, a um, you know, a, a storied career that that I'm I'm super proud of. I'm working on it. But, you know, I was serving mm-hmm. tables until until uh, a few years ago and, and only uh, just got into the dog training a few years ago and only just started this uh, this podcast uh, uh, a few months ago. Um, I don't mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, a girlfriend, wife, family, uh, any of that stuff. I mean, I got Morty, but he's already 11 years old. So, you know, he's, he's, he's still trucking, but you know, it's, uh, it's common. I don't even like to think about that. And yeah. so th- the concept of ha- not only losing all that, but even having that in the first place and then losing all that is something that I can't even, I can't even fathom that. And so yeah. I, I, it's, it, it, uh, I mean, how, how do how did you deal with it? What 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 do you what do you do? <clears throat> well, at first, not very well, and and you know that and and that's one of the things that I that I bring up in the book because it's I had all of the possible book learning that you could have that could be relevant to this sort of thing, right? And you know, I've got a PhD in people. And been been teaching, you know, about it for for 15 years, and and you know, at that point, I'd, I'd been a professor for 15 years, and then I I transitioned. I left the academy to become a startup entrepreneur, um, and in the middle of all this, but but one day, my my son, who was then, well, he's about 14 or so, 13 or 14, uh, he said, you know, Dad, you really suck at doing things for yourself. And, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's funny, it's perceptive. I knew it was true, um, but it was also crushing to, oh. to hear that from your son. I mean, every father wants their son to, to admire them. And, and here's my son saying, man, you can't even do things for yourself. And it's like, well, yeah, because I had a very narrow bandwidth and I had given everything I possibly could to keep a roof over the family's head and, and, you know, dealing with his mother's cancer and all that. And I made the mistake of thinking, you know, and as we often do in those circumstances of thinking, okay, I will take care of myself once we get those other things going. But those other things were chronic and, and they kept going and kept going and kept going. And by the time I got to a place in my life where I thought, maybe now I can take care of myself, I didn't have the resources mm. to so, do that. So when your son said it, it wasn't uh, necessarily uh, a thing about, oh, you're so good at caring for others, but more that you're not putting yourself in a position to even help yourself, which would then uh, uh, put you in a better position to help others. Is that is that kind of I don't I don't know if he thought about it that far that's but uh, you know it, but that's certainly what I took out of it 
and and it was right. And so I started thinking, you know, at one of the things that that there's an incident that I, I relay in the book where, you know, I I had kept wanting to get back to skydiving because, you know, but before I came back in 2019, I only had 13 jumps, and and so. Uh, I had enough that I that I knew something about what I was doing, and I knew that I really loved it, and I really wanted to do it. But there was an incident where I was actually mowing the front lawn, and I pushed myself a little too far past my limits. And when you do that with MS, sometimes the consequences are really dire. And so suddenly, my entire bodily my body just was paralyzed. I just, and it felt like a, a horde of electric hornets was stinging me all over. The pain was just unbearable. I fall over frozen. Fortunately, the mower stopped because it had one of those things on it. So yeah. it didn't roll back down the hill on me. And that would suck. That would have really sucked. <laughs> and, and I passed out from the pain. And, and it probably was just a minute or so, but I, I wake up and I'm there on the ground staring up at this beautiful blue sky. And the, the random thought that, that wafted across my mind was, gee, it would be a beautiful day for skydiving. And then, and then I just had to laugh at myself because I'm thinking, I can't even move. <laughs> there is no way I'm going to ever skydive again. And I gave up on that dream at that point. So when my son said, you really suck at doing things for yourself, I'd gotten to a point in my life where I had lost so many things that I treasured about my life. And I wasn't seeing a path forward to a life that I was interested in living. So I thought, I need to set myself a stretch goal. I need to become a skydiver because that's something that I've given up on. That's something that not a lot of people with MS are doing. It's not very expected for someone with MS. I know one other skydiver with MS. Uh, and so, I knew it was going to be a lot of extra work because I couldn't feel my legs below my knees. And you have to be able to control your legs in free fall. So I wasn't getting, I can move them, but I couldn't feel. So I wasn't getting signals. Right. So I, I went on a couple of jumps early on, those training jumps where, you know, afterward, I had one of the instructors who, you know, thousands of training jumps she's done. And, and we sat down afterwards for the debrief and, and she's just looked at me and she said, that is the most terrifying skydive I've ever been on. And she was absolutely serious because my, I, I couldn't feel what my legs were doing. So when you're out of balance in free fall, you know, you stick a leg out one way and you start spinning rapidly. So I was spinning like a top all over the sky just out completely out of control she said with this big smile on your face because i'm in there you know in in my brain i'm in there trying to will the feeling 
and you know just trying to figure out okay how what you know i don't have all the signals but if i have some of the signals i can figure out i can interpolate the rest of what's going on and so on that skydive i get through and i'm and then suddenly bam i'm rock solid i'm that just balance. in time i'm altitude aware i deploy my parachute great landing so I was getting there, but it was really terrifying. And I had to do a lot of extra work in the vertical wind tunnels, mm, you know, mm -hmm. doing the indoor skydiving so that I can have an instructor right there with me, holding right. my legs in the right position, saying, this is exactly where it needs to be. And, and so I couldn't feel there, but I could feel the tension behind mm. my knees. Mm. So I learned to understand where my leg was by the feeling in the lower part of my thigh. And, and that was, you know, with that, I was able to do it. So normally it takes you 25 jumps to get your A license. That's your first license in skydiving. It took me 47. But I was not going to give up. On I think skydiving's fun. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, you know, it's, but it's not just fun. It's, it is a transcendental experience. Absolutely. It is, it is, you know, and a lot of it, it is the most peaceful experience. I mean, once, you, once you're out there and you're used to it and you understand, you know, the sky is your home and you feel connected with everything and you are absolutely mindfully focused in that moment. There's no distraction. And, and that is an amazing experience. I love it. Yeah. I, I, that, that's, that sound, that sounds exactly like, uh, you know, again, I can only, I can only, uh, uh relate from, from, you know, my own experiences, but that sounds mm -hmm. like a perfect, uh, um, you know, in terms of, uh, making an analogy to, uh, overcoming and, and finding, uh, you know, the, the, the good amongst everything, that's it sounds like a, a just a a perfect analogy. And so mm -hmm. for people who are who've never been skydiving, who've no uh, interest in skydiving, how where does this analogy start to become uh, practical for the day to day uh, goings on in, in, in a person's life who's who's reading this? Even even if you've never skydived, you have had a flow experience mm -hmm. where you have been really immersed into something and feeling competent and and just focused in this moment and and that's one of the kinds of experiences that we want to have because that's an edge experience and that's what that's what chapter four is about and and it's One of the challenges of chronic illness, and, and one of the things with, with MS in particular, like, like many illnesses, but with MS in particular, they will tell you one of the first things is avoid stress. Now, the problem is, if you look at what triggers our stress response, okay, I like to think of it as our challenge response because it's the, the set of body and brain and mental systems that kick into gear when 
we feel like there's a chance that we're going to not succeed. And we need to bring more of whatever it is we have to bear. Okay. Now, if our capacity is, say, here, how much we can deliver in this moment, and the task in front of us is a lot lower, like down here, our demand is right here, then we're going to have an easy time with it. In fact, this is going to feel like a habit, right? Because we're not even thinking. As that demand raises, our capacity lowers, as we get closer and closer, that challenge response starts kicking in and when it's right here when our when our capacity that we can deliver is just a little bit more of what's than what's demanded of us those are some of our best human experiences those are being expert those are you know when when we have pushed ourselves and we've succeeded right that's the, the pitter-patter of your heart as you get to know someone better for the first time and you are opening yourself up, right? Because you're taking that risk. So, so many of the good things that we value in life are right there at the edge. The only problem is when that ratio reverses and now the demand is a little higher, than our capacity to, to deliver, now what happens is we become overwhelmed and we fail. And when it's, the demand is really high and our capacity is really low, this can become traumatizing. And that's how all this stuff is related to one another. So you can't live here at the edge, but whatever your edge is, and it, we've got all kinds of things. So it's not just physical edges. It's not just, it's mental, it's emotional, it's behavioral, it's social. All of these things have edge experiences. And that's where we learn and we grow and we love and, and we feel best about our lives. We can't live there all the time. We've got to be back here, right? And, we, and we've got to be able to relax and recover and recuperate and 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 grow and and all those things as well right but if if because of our chronic illness and this is what happens so often we pull ourselves back from life or the other people around us try to pull us back from life out of all the best intentions we end up with lives that we're not really interested in living. That's, yeah, I can definitely see that. And I, I think that is probably if I, again, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, not speaking from experience, that that, that has to be the, the ever-present uh, um, challenge is just that, mm -hmm. you know, the, it's not just that you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with, but it's the 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 mental thing of um, being able to overcome that in the in a given moment and say, okay, well, mm -hmm. you know, things aren't perfect, well, things are far from perfect, but I'm still here and I'm still uh, uh, able to to find value out of this life, right? Is, am I on yeah. the right track? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And and for me, 
the thing that I wanted to, to get back, I knew that if I could get back to skydiving, then I would have, you know, because I was demonstrating to myself each time. So like in 2019, I did about 140 jumps or so uh, in that year. And I got my A and my B license. And that was a good year. And, and so the next year for 2020, I set myself another goal. I said, I'm going to jump at least once a day on average. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to log at least 366 jumps because it was a leap year. And, 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 you know, and break 500 because 500 jumps is like a magic number in skydiving. Then you're qualified for uh, getting all the ratings and stuff like that. And I got my coach rating along the way and, and that sort of thing. But because but, I, I was interested in, it's not just a matter of taking yourself to your edge and enjoying that and having that good experience out of it. But it's about developing your resources and your capacity as a human so that you can repeatedly challenge yourself and not get overwhelmed and not get traumatized. It's, it's about building and growing and, and all of those things. So if I could every day for a year, trigger my acute stress response and recover from it and, and go back and do it again. And every single time with my wonky central nervous system that's eating itself from the inside, save myself, you know, 15 to 20 seconds from impact then i knew that's life i would have yeah i would have the capacity to write the book and build the company and you know do one last entrepreneurial venture that i hope can help save a lot of other people too and in the book it's not about here's the method for you to do it because one of the very first things that i say is what works for me is not going to work for you, but there's a, I can, I, so I can't teach you how to save yourself. I can teach you how to recognize the things that will save yourself. Gotcha. Because those things, if I taught you and they worked now, they wouldn't work for you in five years or five months or 10 years, because you're gonna change, your circumstances change. You know, it can, a lot of this comes down to behavioral and mindset change. And how do we do that? And how do, how do we keep that going? And for most of us, it's easy to do that once. The tough part is after the inspiration fades. Making it happen. How do we keep going? Right. Well, there are 150 different ways to change your behavior. If you look at all the research, mm -hmm. all of them will work for someone. Only some of them will work for you. And if you go through it randomly, haphazardly, based on you know what your your sister's hairdresser's cousin said, then you're probably going to keep failing time after time after time. And you're going to give up. So what? I want to do in this book is give you the tools so that you can recognize in yourself, here's what's working. Gotcha. 
and here's when it's going. And if it stops working, here's the next thing for me to try. Gotcha. So it's not so much a, uh, a guide, a step-by-step guide, do this, then do this, then do this. Um, but it, I guess more of here are the things that uh, about skydiving that have worked for me. And, and I, I, these aspects identify in, uh, in your own life and your own hobbies. Um, because my, I, that kind of leads into, um, I was thinking about people who, you know, you had, you had this experience of skydiving before, uh, your diagnosis. And so I'm thinking mm-hmm. of people who were, uh, either, uh, born with a, a condition or diagnosed very young and didn't have the opportunity to experience, um, you know, life without a, a chronic illness and, and have that frame of reference. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I could only imagine that you learn to to accept that the ceiling of positive uh, uh, experiences is going to be much lower for you, and then you just accept that and 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 you live with that. And um, it, yeah, it's, it's a kind of learned helplessness. Yeah, and, and it sounds like what you write about is not again not a step by step guide, but rather if you're in that mindset, whether you regardless of of the the circumstances of your diagnosis itself. You're in a position now that is uh, a through line to from from everybody who has this type of of, of life, where you uh, you know you're, you're you're dealing with these things, but there are these uh, edge experiences that you can identify in your life, and if you can if you can, I guess I guess bouncing from edge experience to edge experience wouldn't be the way that you would put it, right? No, it's, it's, think of it as a cycle. So what we want to do, and, and, and I guess one thing is, is let me be really clear that I'm using skydiving as an edge experience here because it's a really obvious edge experience. Right. And almost everyone agrees this is an edge experience. Right. The only people who don't agree that it's an edge experience are skydivers. Uh, <laughs> you know? I, because we're always coming just up another with, Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. And we're always coming up with, well, let's come up with something stupid to do on the way down because we got, you know, 70 seconds of free fall to, to fill in here. So to fill know, in. We, that's a, that's a very we interesting chase way. after <laughs> each other and grab each other and fruit loop each other through the sky and, and we free fly and we wingsuit and we do, you know, all kinds of stuff. Because just falling to earth gets a little boring after a while. After, I'll have to take your word for it on that one. Yeah, after you're used to it. it because humans are remarkably adaptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what, what I want to, you know, I'm using that as an obvious edge experience because I want you to bring it back into your own life. Because sometimes an edge experience for me is just getting my hands to work in the morning so I can take all the pills that I need to take. Oh, and that's man. an edge experience. Our edges are wherever our edges are. And that's okay. And so that's, is that what you meant when you're saying that what is an edge experience for you now, you know, five months from now, five minutes from now, five years from now, it's not, gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's an ever, it's an ever changing landscape. And if you, uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, uh, but it's, it seems like you're saying it's an ever-changing landscape, but if you can identify the, the, the things that matter, then 
as things are changing, you can keep your eye on on those things and and uh, keep them a part of your life and keep them a part of your experience. And and while you're dealing with whatever else life throws at you, you have these these uh, uh, experiences to to you know be fulfilled. Yeah, I mean that's 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 definitely a, a big part of it. If you look at all the research, there are only six things that matter to our quality of life. They're just flat out are. And they're all experiences. They're all in how they make us feel. So we need to feel happy, satisfied, functional, engaged, meaningful, and secure. We don't need all those all the time, but we need to regularly visit experiences that make us feel those ways. And a lot of that exists in relation to the edge, either self-consciously on the edge and mastering it and being, you know, uh, successful there, or very purposefully, as in the feeling of security or the feeling of satisfaction, drawing ourselves away from the edge and very consciously being in that kind of moment. So uh, switching gears a little bit, there's something on my mind. I'm I'm just curious. Uh, do you okay. have any experience with uh, psychedelics? Um, and uh, the reason I ask is because you know, in talking about uh, these edge experiences, definitely, uh, you know, on on one end, uh, one end of the spectrum, you know, skydiving is a uh, physically a a can be uh, uh, or at least the perception is much more than it really is, but it perceived to be a very dangerous thing. And mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, now, of course, you know, dabbling in hard drugs also is, it can be seen as a very dangerous mm -hmm. thing. But as we know from research that the, that it's not, uh, especially with psilocybin or, or uh, uh, LSD, mm -hmm. uh, it's not very uh, dangerous. There's no uh, long-term, right. there's likely not going to be any long-term effects with a, uh, a proper dosage, all of these kinds of things. Um, right. And so for and, somebody, and there are good medical uses for them as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I'm wondering um, if you have any personal experience and if if uh, how this might be able to fit into the framework of of what you're talking about. Uh, I, I, I will neither confirm nor deny. But fair enough. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's but there is. There's, there's definitely something to what you say, because those are substances that trigger specific kinds of experiences that are edge experiences. Yeah, I, I've, I've maintained because I've, I mean, I'm not like a, I, I, I like to think of myself as a psychonaut, but just because I think it sounds cool, I don't really. Uh, 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 in, in, but you're not quite to... Timothy Leary. Not exactly. No, I mean, I've, I've, uh, um, I much prefer uh, LSD over uh, psilocybin just because I feel it's a, a little bit more of an encompassing and um, emotionally driven experience. Uh, mm. In my experience, I've, I've heard people, uh, you know, talk about it the other way, <clears throat> excuse me, the other way around. But um, yeah, it's not something that I do all the time. 
Um, it's something like, you know, there was a period where, you know, like as, uh, as soon as, you know, I do it and then, you know, you got to wait a week for it to have the, the, the full effect. And then that next weekend, or, you know, maybe give it 10 days and then right back into it. But that was a very, uh, you know, just circumstantial. It just happened to be around. It's not something that I would seek out, but I do think that it is something, uh, whether it's psilocybin or, uh, LSD or DMT or Iowa, any of these things, there is a narrow band of consciousness that I believe that we we inhabit most of our most of our lives, and getting a peek into what's outside of that bandwidth, there's a lot there, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have these these uh, these edge experiences, these transcendental experiences, and they're primed to automatically categorize them into a uh, religious uh, type of experience, Mm -hmm. whether or not they are specifically a religious person or subscribe to a particular religion, that's, that's where, where it tends to get filtered in the mind. And um, so I'm, I'm just curious that I I think, uh, I I think, or maybe not curious is the right word, but I, I'm adamant that I think along with experiences like jumping into the sky out of a plane, um, where, where, you know, the ground is beneath you, it, you know, the, the, the types of experience, you know, mental states that you experience in that, um, you know, as you would be the first to say, that's not the only way to experience them. And, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, and, and, and uh, while the big grand extreme edge experiences are, are kind of the sexy bit of what we're talking about. What, what I want people to understand is that edges are everywhere. Right. And sometimes, sometimes like our edges, hands. yeah, sometimes our edges are really close and in, and, and sometimes they're humiliating and we don't even want to admit them. You know, part of this, I wrote this book once and then basically scrapped almost everything and rewrote it again. And <laughs> well, one, it was it was it was way too geeky and way too technical, and nobody was going to be interested in that. And two, originally, I didn't want my story to be a part of it at all, because for me, it's about the science. Hmm. But everybody said, "No, you've got to have your story in there." And you know, I knew intellectually that it's right. People have to have the interesting story to right. to get them into it, and and also. The book would be, it would be accepted in one way if it was just Dr. Payne talking about it, as opposed to Kevin, who lives through this, you know, who had his life ripped apart by this. And, and I wanted, you know, ultimately, I wanted not just the detached science to be in there, but the compassion to be in there because I, I really do have all the compassion in the world for those of us who are going through this. And I, I really do want this book to, to help make just a few people's paths a little easier than what I had to go through. And in order to do that, I had to become the man who would be completely open about the darkest parts of my journey. And 
when I wrote the first draft of this, I wasn't yet that guy. I was, I was just getting back into skydiving. And facing death and conquering it and becoming comfortable, not complacent. Big difference. Yeah, important distinction. Yeah, becoming comfortable there. Continuing to find a way to regularly see my edge doing a dangerous thing safely. And that's what skydiving is. It's a dangerous thing that you can do safely. I had to, I had to go through that experience and, and I had to become the guy who was willing to talk about the point where you know it it made absolute clear cold calculated emotionless logical sense that i no longer be in the world no that's a that's a big pill to swallow yeah definitely a big pill to swallow um, the, um, the, uh, so again, the, the I'm, I'm, I'm still a, a little unclear on what the experimentation, uh, part really, uh, was. So is it that, you know, after the, the lawnmower ex, uh, experience, staring up at the sky, deci- realizing, realizing mm-hmm. that you're not ever going to do this again, getting back into it was that the the experimentation how am i going to make this work without the feeling of my legs and all that or was there part of it was was figuring out i mean it was on all fronts so it was like tinkering with my nutrition tinkering with my movement tinkering with my emotions my my mindset my behavioral patterns and and all of those things to try to optimize an approach to life that would account for the real limitations that I have, but still allow me to do things that I found fulfilling and interesting and useful. So would you say so, that, so would you say that the, the experimentation aspect of it is that everything is up for tinkering and everything you can, you can, you can, approach from a slightly different angle to try to to see if it'll work differently and 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 that we should be encouraged to 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 try these different things to find what works best yeah i mean very much so because i mean this is the first chapter in the book and and so one of the great things about modern medicine is that it has identified particular places in, in our bodies, in our brains, in our mental, uh, you know, composition that we can point to and say, this is a source of whatever dysfunction it is we're talking about, okay? Now, that's really good because if it's medical, that means that we're not sinful or selfish or lazy or all of the other things that that we have used to identify those issues throughout human history. But the implicit downside of medicalization is that we tend to say a medical problem only has a medical solution. But the problem is 
I've got a chronic condition. If there were a medical solution, they would already have given it to me. So we can't just allow ourselves to be hamstrung by, by sitting around waiting for only a medical solution because there, we are a multi-level adaptive system and, and we can adapt at all of those other levels to try to compensate for and work around whatever that medical limitation is. And so I want us to look to, yeah, here's, here's mindset stuff we can do. Here's behavioral stuff we can do. Here's stuff we can do with our relationships. Here's stuff we can do with our environment to make our environment better adapted to what we need. And all of those things improve our quality of life. And there's, there's no like one big, here's your magic pill. This is your one thing. And that's what everybody's looking a, for. Yeah. This is a game of 1% here, 2% there, 1% someplace else. And you make those little changes and you add them up and suddenly you get a better life. And I'm, uh, uh, what do you, this, I'm curious about what you think of this thought that somebody watching this who doesn't have a chronic illness is probably going to have a little bit harder of a time understanding what you're referring to uh, in, in, the, in the discussion versus somebody who is living through it. They mm -hmm. might be able to pinpoint exactly what you mean. You know, like I'm asking little things about, you know, coming back to the ex experimentation and all these things. And, and uh, gratefully, I'm living without any type of uh, chronic uh, illness like that. I mean, I guess, you know, I've got my anxiety, but that's, you know, clearly not the same thing. Um, and uh, it sucks sometimes. But it but still counts and it's not a contest. Right, right. But also. It's not MS. Uh, and um, so, yeah, that's, that's uh, very interesting. So, I, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the point of that question is really that it sounds like there is a, uh, a much like uh, maybe a, a, a better comparison, again, not, not to uh, uh, make it a competition at all, um, but a better, better comparison would be my experience with addiction. And that, uh, you know, is, is another type of, a uh, lived experience that is omnipresent while you're in it and is very unique and people who are not in it just won't understand it. And if you get past it, then that can be very inspiring. And then, you know, again, similar to your situation, as somebody who has at least some experience with uh, psychology and, and philosophy, taking those, the, 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 the lived experience and the, the you know, the, the book knowledge that I have and putting those together mm -hmm. And and um, you know, bring myself to from where I was to 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 where I am now. That it, that same type of thing is what I would love to be able to to give to other people who are not in in the best way, and uh, you know how to mm -hmm. to get themselves out of that. And it sounds like you're you're uh, doing the same thing for people who uh, are are struggling um, in in some of the uh, what I would assume are the worst ways that people can suffer. And um, that's just that, that's just, you know, the fact that you have uh, uh, all of your studies, all of your work to pair with the 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 life experience. I, I don't see how this wouldn't be helpful to somebody. I, I can't imagine that they would read this and be like, yeah, nah. <laughs> I hope so. And 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 
you know, I also hope that you really hit on a, on an important point there, and that is, if you don't live with a chronic illness, you care about somebody who does. Mm -hmm. So everybody has someone in their life with a chronic illness that they might not understand. And that causes difficulties in human relationships. And so, you know, I wrote this book not just for people who are living with it, but people who are loved ones and caregivers so that they can help understand and, and they can realize that, oh, there are things they can do to help not only the person they care about, but to help themselves and everybody improve their relationships as they go through this as and, well. And that's, I, I think that's, that's what I was trying to say when, uh, you know, I mentioned that somebody who doesn't have a, a, a chronic illness might not have an easy, as easy a time following this discussion, um, alluding to the fact that what's in the book, if you dive into the book, then you personally uh, have the experience and vocabulary to be able to explain uh, your experiences that their loved ones may be experiencing, but maybe don't have the the background that you do to be able to articulate it to somebody who's not experiencing it. And uh, yeah. that that was it was a half baked thought, but you finished it off for me, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, and and there are a lot of episodes of the podcast that that deal with those kinds of episodes as well, and <laughs> and you know it's just just about understanding and and you know the podcast everything is your life lived well, and and it's. You know, it's just focused on, you know, here's a better understanding almost exclusively is a good foundation for making progress. If, if we can understand one another better, we don't have to agree with one another. We don't have to see it. But if you can understand it, then sometimes we can find that point of commonality and we can find a way forward. And, and I think that not only can we do that, but it's, it can be very difficult to find that understanding, particularly specifically mm -hmm. because of just the, the limitations of language. Uh, and, yeah. and uh, so that, uh, again, that's something that I think that you can offer through this book uh, that um, is, okay. is probably, you know, missing from a lot of people's, uh, uh, lives and preventing them from from making the most of their their lives in, in spite of their illness. And, um, that's, and one, that's... one of the curious, you know, one of the curious things about our our systems in our body, and that's you know, it begins with our pain system, and all the way through our emotional system. That's the second oldest system we've got to protect ourselves. And then you know, all the cognitive biases that that kind of work in this favor. All of them are adapted to draw us back from challenge before it gets truly dangerous or truly harmful. Mm. And, and so we have to understand and kind of build a, a, a different way of approaching those negative things because all of our, our, our systems are about getting distant from the thing that is negative. But if, if the thing that is negative is locked in your body with you, mm. can't get away from you it. can't do that. 
yeah, you can't do that. And and so a lot of people, I mean, it's like I, you know, I we won't go into uh, big detail here, but but like with addiction, I don't know anyone, and I've dealt with a lot of people who've who've been living with addiction that didn't have trauma at the root of their addiction. And and trauma is a huge part of life with a chronic illness as well. And and fundamentally, we want to get away from the traumatic experience. And addiction provides a narcotizing path away from the, that experience. I'll tell you what, it works until it doesn't. It works until it exactly. doesn't. <laughs> it, exactly. It Before works. Before that until... point, oh, it's great. It's great. It's sure. So. And then not so much. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually our bodies adapt and, you know, we just don't get out of it what we used to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to take up too much of your time. We've been going for a little over an hour, and uh, but this has been fascinating and uh, inspiring, and uh, I, I really think that this this book can, uh, again, as I mentioned, not only help people who are uh, experiencing uh, uh, chronic illnesses like like yourself, but just you know, especially in this time where everything is a everything makes you a victim. That even you know whether whatever it is. People always feel like their circumstance is so terrible. And so whether it is or it isn't in comparison to, to anyone else, again, it's not a competition. And so it's an internal thing. And so I think even the people with the, the most you know, smooth sailing lives could probably read this and be like, I know, like my credit card didn't like, you know, it's not something that, that, that you would find the most mundane thing is the biggest thing, into the, biggest thing in the world to them. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing in their world is still the biggest thing in their world. And so I think this has a, a, a very wide appeal. And while I think the fact that it's uh, uh, centered on the aspect of uh, chronic illness and, and, and dealing with that and finding life satisfaction uh, uh, despite that, I think, it, I think it, it, it sounds, obviously I haven't read the book, uh, but it sounds like it has a very, uh, very wide appeal. And um, so I definitely, uh, I definitely appreciate, you know, all the work that you did before just, you know, living your life and then, you know, not giving up when you're, when you were at that point when you very easily could have. And I, I, I would imagine, um, you know, that a lot of people do and they just, they, they just accept that, okay, this is what it is and uh, it's going to suck and then I'm going to die. And then that's it. And uh, maybe they, Maybe they uh, they need somebody else who is in their position to be able to say, "Look, no, I did this, and you can do it too." And here's how. And it's not a step by step guide, but if you just do these things and you follow these concepts, that that you can you can you know you're not gonna again you're not gonna fix your your chronic illness, but that doesn't mean that you can't have uh, 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 valued experiences while you're still here. Well, it all goes back to the who's responsible for your life thing. Mm. And a good point. You know, I I was completely overwhelmed. And part of that was because I was a privileged, you know, lower middle class white guy. That's how I grew up, you know, from the suburbs. And 
I didn't recognize my privilege until I had some, it took me some graduate education and, and a condition that, that pretty much devastated my central nervous system before I figured it out. So, eh, you know, some people Good are timing. Like, yeah, well, I was, but I did, I figured it out. And, That's and the this, the whole Your Life Lived Well initiative for me is about this, this is my attempt to do something worthwhile out of all the awful stuff that happened to me. And that's, that, that's definitely, uh, you know, again, not everybody is, is uh, willing to do that, especially, you know, limited time and, and, and all that stuff. So uh, I, again, super inspiring. And so you mentioned uh, the podcast. Um, I know you have some, uh, some seminars and some other stuff. So if there's anything you would uh, like to plug, social media, any of that stuff, the floor is yours. Yeah, I, I'll make it simple. Just go to yourlifelivedwell.co or if you, if you can't remember that, just jump.life uh, maps onto it. So go there. There's all the social media links. You can connect with us on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and, and it's your LL well every place um we've got you can you can see that we got 24 different seminars that we do that are for people living with chronic illness or loved ones and caregivers and mostly for medical health and wellness professionals uh, so that they can do their jobs better and deal with the burnout and the other you know challenges that come from that so uh you know those are the ones i mostly do for organizations and then there's uh, regular seminars. They're just public, they're open, and you can come there and sign up for one of those. And, and we just rotate through them. And, and they're the guidance sessions if you need something a little more hands-on to help. And, and the book comes out February 7th. And, you know, the podcast comes out every week. Uh, we're going to do something. I think we're going to do the next episodes titled Merry Freaking Christmas. And it's it's about some of the uh, awfulness that happens when you're you're living with chronic illness around the holidays and and maybe what to do about it. So uh, if you know, I would I would love to connect with anybody whose life is somehow touched by chronic illness. And if I've got something that I'm doing to you know like. Go to the website. There's a free 100-page preview of the book you can download right there. Give some of my stories, some of the science, and and you know, connect with me. And and I'm I'm delighted to know your stories as well. So beautiful, beautiful. And we'll have all that stuff uh, linked below. Make sure you uh, check out the podcast. Check out uh, you know the website. Um, and, uh, those seminars definitely sound, uh, if it's anything like talking to you right now, I definitely, uh, think that, uh, you know, it's at least worth, uh, checking out. Um, I want to thank yeah. you so much for, uh, uh, taking the time to talk with me. This was a super, uh, like I said, a super, um, inspiring, uh, uh, conversation as well as, um, you know, just eye opening in terms of, you, you know, it's 
people need a a a little check every once in a while and uh, I don't, I'm not talking about money I'm talking about checking checking your check just checking where you are in life and realizing mm -hmm. that you know some things aren't always the way you want them but it can always be worse and 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 while that's true you can also you can also you all you have the power to make things better and uh, so yeah. thank you for that reminder well thank you so much and as we've been talking here, you can tell that the clouds have have pulled back and it's a beautiful afternoon and it's like about 60 degrees here so i'm going to run to the drop zone and fling my carcass at the earth with glee and abandon awesome that is very cool so i won't hold you back from that thank you so much again and uh you have a good one you too happy Be jumping well. take care Wow, so that was quite an interesting conversation. Um, I think that, you know, it, it's very difficult to talk about something like living with a chronic illness, uh, something like uh, MS, not having MS uh, or any chronic illness. Um, so I didn't, you know, obviously I did my best to engage with what he was saying without trying to to be like oh yeah yeah, yeah i got it i get it i get it because i definitely don't and i think that's an important part of talking to people about their experiences especially their their uh you know not so great experiences that you can't you don't necessarily want to come to a place where you're saying that you you already know what they're going to say when you haven't experienced it and so saying oh i totally feel you i get you i understand you i don't so I'm not going to pretend that I have an understanding of his experiences because I don't. And um, that doesn't stop me from being able to benefit from what he's saying. And um, I, I don't know how much he had in mind people without chronic illnesses reading this uh, book and taking this type of mentality and applying it to their life. But it doesn't sound to me like anything uh, that is not applicable to everybody, especially, you know, as I was alluding to the fact that every little thing turns someone into a victim, you know, it's, it's the oppression Olympics out there these days. And so whether, whether that really is the case or not, if you think that you are a victim and if you think that you're being held back in life by X, Y, Z, then it, 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 that feeling is legitimate. Whether or not externally we can say that you are really, uh, uh, you know, being held back by X, Y, Z. If you feel that way, those feelings and that mindset is is real. And so it doesn't really matter the what what the the external aspects of it. Um, and there seems to be a almost a uh, you know a desire to to shame those uh, the, the people who are experiencing things that we personally would be like, oh, that's no big deal. I do that all the time and I have to deal with much worse. Or like the, the good example is uh, uh, how little sleep you got, uh, you know, bragging about how little sleep you got at work or how much you worked this week or things like that. And, um, you know, the the being, being super busy and having to work uh, uh, 90 hours in a week is not really comparable to, you know, uh, having a chronic illness like MS or even, uh, you know, being in the throes of addiction. But that being said, if in your mind, that's the worst thing that you're dealing with and that's what's overwhelming you, 
then it doesn't really matter. It's not, it's not a competition and it's not, uh, you know, to, each person has their own experiences. And um, again, the, the, you're like, uh, like Dr. Kevin was saying, who is in charge of your life? You are. And uh, uh, it sounds like this book is a great tool in taking charge of your life and not allowing external factors to pull you into this victimization mindset. There's a spider on my ring light. Fuck you. I don't like killing spiders because if there's other bugs in the house, they, they, uh, they'll like eat them up. But I heard a stat that like eat a bunch of, I don't know, like 30 spiders over your lifetime in your sleep. I don't know. I don't like bugs and shit, but as long as you eat other stuff, I'll leave you alone. Um, the, the, yeah, I, I think the, the, the victim mentality and the rise of the, the, I mean, just thinking about, you know, today is, uh, December 5th and the, uh, Jesse Smollett trial is going on. And so what a, what a perfect example of this, the, what I'm talking about, he staged this whole hoax because he thought he could benefit from the victimization and being a victim. And that is the complete opposite uh, uh, mindset of somebody who is being victimized by an illness like MS. And the last thing they would want to do is, is bask in it. The, what, what it, again, seem, I just talking from my own experience and, and talking to people like Dr. Kevin, um, it, it, it seems like the last thing you'd want to do is bask in it. And, and all you would want to do is find a way to, to get away from that and not, necessarily in the way that we were alluding to with, you know, how I, uh, people get away from their trauma with drugs, but just that mindset, again, the mindset of being overwhelmed and, and uh, uh, all, all of the stuff that we were talking about going through the, that process is um, something that ev- everybody can, can learn how to do better. And it would lessen the idea that being a victim is, uh, uh, that has social currency. We're all uh, victimized by something in some ways, and nobody has an equal level of victimization to anybody else. So why I, I don't I I never really understood why that was a factor in in how we 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 talk about things. But here we are. So I hope that at, first and foremost that if you are struggling with something uh, uh, like that, if you're struggling with um, whether it be addiction or uh, a chronic illness or uh, a loved one experiencing a chronic illness and you're not really sure what to do, that this conversation and that this book and uh, uh, Dr. Kevin's other work can be of service to you and can be a resource to improve the quality of your life and your, uh, the life of your loved ones. That's, that's you know, there's, there's, there, I don't have a word of criticism uh, on this one. And, um, you know, I think really Dr. Kevin said, uh, uh, really said it all. Um, I, I was, uh, sometimes I have, uh, depending on what we're talking about, I will have a lot uh, to, or, or at least some to refute and to, to question and, and all of that. But because of the position I'm in, I have to realize that I don't have a, uh, a, a really a place to, to question what he's saying. You know, maybe if I read the book, then I might be able to pick, pick out certain things and, and, and talk about those, but that's not really what we're looking to do here. So we're not going to do it. 
I, I definitely think it's, uh, again, something that could be helpful to anybody, but specifically uh, those who it's targeted to, I don't see how it wouldn't be. Um, I, uh, I, I definitely wish we got a little bit more into the, the events of his life and, and, and what it was like being in, in those uh, moments, but it sounds like he put a lot of that into the book itself. So definitely check out the book if you're interested in those particulars. Um, and then, you know, like you said, he's he's got the podcast every week. Uh, he does seminars. Um, all of that stuff is going to be linked below. If you enjoyed this conversation, please give this a like. Uh, if you know somebody who is struggling with a chronic illness or loves somebody with a chronic illness and is struggling with how to deal with that, please share this with them. Maybe this can be something huge for them. You never know. Um, and uh, that's, that's, you know, what, that's just what we're all looking to do is just help people and just share resources. That was, you know, when the, when the internet started, this was going to be the, 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 the new way of life. And it, uh, you know, there's an aspect of that, but the internet has turned into a lot of other things. And so I think if we can conserve a little bit of that, that uh, almost utopian uh, uh, ideal that we can use just me sitting in my living room talking to my computer as a way to improve the life of somebody who's dealing with a real uh, a chronic illness. I, 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 what else could you ask for? So please give us a like, comment down below. What did you think about Dr. Kevin's uh, uh, experience and his mindset? Um, did, I, did I do a good job of, of teasing out what you wanted to hear from him? This was one that I felt a little bit, um, you know, out of out of my depth. Um, you know, I, I was asking the same kind of question. You know, I, I always just ask whatever comes to my mind. Um, but usually, the the author will say something that will lead me into a, a next question. And um, not that that didn't happen, but all of them were just very much like, okay, well, what is this? Okay, well, what is that? Um, which I think can be, I, I think it's helpful, but. Um, you know, again, leaves me here in this segment without too much to analyze. And uh, uh, other than to say, like I said, that I think this could be helpful, not just to uh, those who are chronically ill and their loved ones, but everybody. So again, that was uh, Dr. Kevin Payne. And we were talking about your life lived well. Comment, like, subscribe, follow me at Lutch. Follow him at whatever it says right below me. Uh, and um, yeah, share this with somebody who, and, and be, be a positive force in their life. That's what you can do right now. There's a button that says share. You can do that for somebody right now. Go and do that. Uh, if, you, if you can, there, I do also have support links in the description. I would love to be able to expand this operation and uh, reach more people and talk to, uh, 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 you know, more, um, more, uh, more people who have this level of, of work put into uh, their, 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 uh, their books. And again, you know, nothing to say negative about any of the, the uh, books that we've talked about so far, but we want to, we, we, we want to really build a community and we really want to help people. And um, the only way that can happen is if this continues to grow and continues to get out to more people and more people know that this is a place where you can come to learn and to, to get ideas about what is out there, just understanding what is out there. So 
if you uh, if you so desire, uh, you know, we've got PayPal, Cash App, pa- uh, uh, Venmo. I've got my Bitcoin address, but you don't have to do any of that. All you, uh, If you just want to sit at home and think about how great this conversation was, that would be cool too. All I ask is that you give it a like and you come back next week, Wednesday, 10 a.m. We will have another episode for you. Thank you. This has been the I Didn't Read Your Book podcast. I am Let Your Host, and I will see you next time. Bye.